I love being in God's house. I love being with you, God's family. And this is, this is a privilege. So you may or may not know the name McClure, this church. Some of you know it well. Some of you are like, I've never heard that name. This was a name that was very instrumental in just when I say heroes of faith to me. And the McClure's daughter had posted a, a photo this week. And several people just began to chime in. The impact that people had made on their lives. When I say the everyday spiritual heroes, the everyday spiritual heroes, the impact that was made. And one thing that I had shared was that there are days when I'm walking around this sanctuary and I can just remember in my mind where my heroes of faith would sit, where their seat in church would be. And there's some days that I'll just go sit in that seat and just thank God. Thank God for those who were so faithful in going before me. Thank God for the example. Thank God that when I was that little one, that they would sow into me, that they would speak life over me. I say that now because I would just challenge you to look around. See your heroes of faith of all ages in this house. Know that you're not alone in what you're doing. And know that consistency preaches volumes to those who are looking up to you. Today, I wanted to start by sharing with you a few things. And Madeline, I didn't give you a script. You're really good at following me. We've got this. You've got this. I have great faith in you. There's just main point slides, and I'll I'll do some kind of inconspicuous sign like this if I want you to switch the slide. We're very formal around here. Oh, let me get my notes. Easter is coming. It's an early Easter coming up this year, right? And so today, uh, this passage that I want to share, it actually occurs about 10 days to around two weeks before Easter is going to occur in the scriptures. And so I think that it's a timely message. The clock is ticking in some ways on what is going to happen, what's going to go down. In sports, it's funny because you can watch a whole game, and we just realized this when we were watching the Super Bowl, that when the two-minute warning happens like it can be an incredible game but it's like everything turns up in that last two minutes it's just so intense in that last two minutes for Browns fans that remember the drive things can happen really quickly in our lives that can scar us for life sometimes but imagine this imagine when the lights were dim in this place you're sitting here imagine being unable to see The row in which you are sitting, you start to hear chatter. You start to see people, they're getting texts. They're whispering to one another. 
Someone gets up. Someone else gets up. They start to head out to the foyer. They start to head out to the parking lot. It's like they're leaving space for someone to walk through. You can hear people. They start calling their friends. They start sharing. And and you hear these whispers and they say, Jesus is going to be walking through this place. The number of people almost make walls as they line up. You hear the crowd getting louder as Jesus approaches. You can't see it. But you know something's happening. You know something's going on. But imagine during this time, no one gives you a place in the line. Imagine no one wanting to reach out a hand to make sure that you're able to see Jesus as well. And then imagine in the midst of everything. Brendan? Someone yells out in the crowd. I did tell the people in front of him that was going to happen. You're welcome. Next, after the yell, you hear Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he yells it again, and he yells it again, and he yells it again. Imagine this. And as this is happening, all the people who have shown up for this Jesus movement to see Jesus pass through start getting aggravated, right? Because we're here to see Jesus. We don't need you yelling out. We're here for this Jesus movement, so shush. Just shush. This is where we are. This is Mark chapter 10. I'm going to give you some context of Mark chapter 10, some things that have happened in this book before I tear into the text for today. Some of the things, among others, that have happened in this book, people were bringing their children to Jesus because they wanted him to lay hands on those children to bless the children. And ironically, the disciples start getting aggravated because the kids were messing up the Jesus moment, right? And you hear, you hear that often quoted, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. You have the rich young ruler, not long after that, he comes up to Jesus and he asks Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? Verse 21, Jesus answers him and he says this, let me read it, then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And then he said to him, the one thing you lack Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, take up your cross and follow me. And the young man, he goes away sad. And then, near the end of this, James and John approach Jesus, and Jesus asks this question. What do you want me to do for you? And they pretty much are asking for preferred seating in heaven. To paraphrase, Jesus pretty much tells them, I'm not in charge of the seating chart in heaven. He goes on to share with them what this walk will look like. He had told his disciples in this chapter that the time was coming, that it was wrapping up, that soon he would 
give his life, that soon he would be raised again. And here you have this time of Passover. It brings us to verse 46, and I'm going to begin reading there. Now they came to Jericho as Jesus went out of Jericho with his disciples in a great multitude. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, he sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then many warned him to be quiet, but Bartimaeus cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and he commanded Bartimaeus to be called. Then they called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and he came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus on the road few points that I want to make today, and there's a couple that I had to place at the end because I won't be able to hold myself together if I roll with them in the beginning. The first question that I would ask, when it comes to calling out to Jesus, who or what are you allowing to shush you? This is one that when it comes to our walk, that it seems like so many have come to a place where they don't feel like they deserve a place in the line when Jesus passes by. Seems like some have stopped calling out because of what others may have done or what others may have said to them. It's like someone said to you, here and no farther, and you have stopped here and will go no farther. Some hurts in this house go back years for people. Some have been relegated to what we would consider their spot spiritually. And here's what's wild. Sometimes the one who has told me to go here and no farther has been me. Some of us have these self-imposed places that we have stopped. We're the ones calling ourselves down at times. What is it that has led you to believe that those who are more spiritually privileged deserve a spot and you don't? Second thing is call out to Jesus like it might be the last time. You hear in churches often when there's a call to salvation, that question is asked, if you were to step into eternity tonight, we do not have a guarantee. We need to operate with this kind of passion where it seems like this could be the last time that I get to call out to him. This could be the last time that I get the privilege. To quote Shannon Vachey when he said, fight like the third monkey on the ramp to the ark and it is beginning to rain when we had a meeting here. And this spiritually is how you need to get that passion in you where you don't stop when it comes to the Jesus fight because it makes other people uncomfortable. Right? You have this crowd. Let them do what they're going to do. But when it comes to this walk, this is personal. And like the song said, give me Jesus. In 10 short days for Bartimaeus, Jesus would be crucified. So in fact, this was the last time he would get an opportunity to yell out and to cry out to him. 
How many, you don't have to raise your hand, but you know in your heart you are tired of the same old, same old when it comes to your spiritual walk. And it's time to do something out of character. Did you notice with this in the Bible, it said that they called him blind Bartimaeus and not screaming Bartimaeus. It's not like this guy went around all the time and screamed everything he did. This was a circumstance where he was doing something out of character. It's a circumstance where when he was yelling, I'm sure people were like, who is that making that racket? And he yelled again. And he yelled again. I think the challenge where we are is that God's going to say individually to people, it's time to get uncomfortable. It's time to figure out what your comfort level is and then get uncomfortable. And when it comes to how I may perceive people judging and telling me to keep it down and shushing me, I need to understand at the end of this life, I'm not going to stand before man. According to Romans 14, 12, each of us is going to give an account of himself to God. I want to live in this temporary life in a way that when I stand before God, I can say, Lord, I attempted to leave it all on the field. Here's the truth. Bartimaeus in this setting, because of his physical blindness, would not have been able to see Jesus. But furthermore, because of the crowds that were there, Jesus probably wouldn't have been able to see Bartimaeus. And so it was important for him to use what he had in that moment to get Jesus' attention. Sometimes you may be in a place where you feel like no one sees you. And then it's at that point something inside of you needs to scream out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. When you're in a place that it feels like it's spiritually dry, begin to call that out. When you're in a place that you don't understand, why am I here? Begin to call that out. Even when your heart may be lying to you and saying, he can't see you, yell out, cry out in prayer. The third thing, Jesus could have spoken healing over Bartimaeus, but he wanted presence. I'm going to be honest. So many of us want Jesus to move in a way that we're used to. So many of us are in a place where we have seen the greatness of God move in some ways, and we want that repeated just like that, because we like that move. But in this case, you know, they remembered in the Bible, the Roman centurion in Matthew 8, just say the word, Jesus, and my servant's going to be healed. But it says here, so Jesus stood still and commanded that Bartimaeus be called. Because of all the spiritual racket that Bartimaeus was making, Jesus stood still. And I want the kind of faith that causes things to slow down and stop, if you will, because I'm making a spiritual racket. Because I'm not willing to be one that's just going to stop when people tell me to stop. When everything stopped in the crowd, you know, Jesus stops and you know the whole crowd stopped, like what's going on? And you know Bartimaeus, he just kept yelling and just kept yelling and just kept yelling. And they say to him, be of good cheer and rise because he's calling you. Isn't it ironic that the same people that were just telling this guy to be quiet are the people leading him to Jesus right now? 
Now, in some way, that could preach all day long because we get to a place, and what I love is the God irony. When God begins to use the things that once kept you from him to be the very things that pave the way to get to him. It's like he tells the devil, you know what? It's had that use long enough, and what we're going to do now is turn it on its head. I love some God irony. The fourth thing here, and this is where it gets weird for me because as I was reading this, I kind of became a mess. I do cry sometimes. Take the healing, leave the coat. Says in verse 50, and throwing aside his garment, Bartimaeus rose and he came to Jesus. Before he ever stood to his feet, he threw the coat. Now, I had to look this up, and I came across this study that I loved. I'm not going to put this on because it's adult size, and it'll be way too big for me. But when you look at the culture back then, the coat was incredibly important. This is what arrested me with this passage this time. From Hebrews 12 we can find things. This is a study, and they call it Hebrews 12 Endurance. And when they wrote these things, I think it was made just for me to find. A cloak, by biblical definition, is an exterior tunic, wide and long. It reaches to the ankles, but without sleeves. The cloak served as an outer garment as well as a blanket at night. Now, this speaks to me because I'm a freeze baby, because my wife keeps it 42 degrees in the house, and I need it a little warmer. I'm a freeze baby. I sleep in a winter coat sometimes. This is my life. Richard Zinni, shout out. Listen to what it says in the Bible, though, regarding a cloak. This comes from Exodus 22, verses 26 to 27. If you take your neighbor's cloak as security for a loan, you must return it before sunset. This coat may be the only blanket that your neighbor has. How can a person sleep without it? If you do not return it, and if your neighbor cries out to me for for help, then I will hear, for I am merciful. In Deuteronomy 24, verses 12 to 13, it says, If your neighbor is poor and gives you his cloak as a security for a loan, do not keep the cloak overnight. Return the cloak to its owner by sunset so he can stay warm through the night and bless you, and the Lord your God will count you as righteous. So people need to be warm. But do you know what this tells me? It tells me how important a cloak was in the lives of these people back in the Bible. This is what it says to me. It was so crucial to their well-being that you couldn't even keep the thing overnight. But check this out. Bartimaeus was a beggar. So the coat that he owned was probably a lot more valuable to him than to other people. But when I read this, it said that he threw it aside before he even got on his feet. By throwing it aside, he's saying a couple things right here. What he's saying is, I'm leaving behind who I was when I come to you. I'm leaving behind 
what people knew about me, what they looked down on, what they thought. I'm throwing it down right here and I'm making my way to you. By throwing it aside, it's like he's echoing the words of Psalm 46 of God being our refuge and our strength. Refuge there is also translated to shelter. He's saying that from this point on, I don't need this as my blanket and shelter because God's going to take care of me from this point on. Often people who were begging, you know what they do? They would lay their cloak down in front of them, and that would be the place where people threw money when they passed by. So when he threw it down, he was saying a second thing. He was saying, what used to get me by before the scraps of this world, now I'm going to step into the greatness of what Jesus has for me. And I'm not going to look back. If you read this passage, at no point in this passage does it say that he said to someone, hold this for me because I'm coming back for it. At no point does it say, and he returned to get it after he was healed. When Jesus calls you, he's not looking to make things just a little bit better. He wants everything to be the absolute best. This is how it works. I don't need to beg anymore. He's calling me. I don't need to go back to that place. Let the coat stay with the shame. Before those inspired words ever entered Saul of Tarsus' mind, Bartimaeus was preaching it there that day. But my God shall supply all my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I say that to someone here because you don't even know where to start sometimes spiritually. There's no playbook for Bartimaeus. But he did what he knew he was supposed to do. On a deeper level, here's something that stopped me. As he takes that coat and he lays it down, you know what I couldn't help but picture in my mind? I couldn't help but picture in John 12 when Mary took out that perfume. It says in verse 3, Mary took a pound of very costly oil and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. I can't help but in some strange way, this was his way of saying, God, everything that I've got that I value before I even come to you, I'm going to pour it out. I'm going to lay it down. I want you to see me. I want you to see my heart. I don't want you just to see it as like some performative act, but I want you to see my heart. Jesus knew that man. He knew him before he ever yelled out. He knew what kept him in the dark. Jesus knew that he was pouring out quite a bit by screaming that way. It's all cool, but after Jesus left, imagine everybody turned around being like, hey, where's the guy that was yelling? Jesus saw him. What's coming is better than anything that he had. What I love about this, though, is that him throwing down that coat signified how we said that I believe that Jesus Christ can do anything. And a few weeks ago, when we were talking about that idea, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, he was not going back to that coat. 
If that man would not have been healed that day, he would not have gone back to that coat because he had made a decision to go forward. And Jesus asks that familiar question in this passage now, what do you want me to do for you? How many times have I squandered that one? You know, you think about that with James and John. Jesus Christ standing in front of you and saying, what do you want me to do for you? And they're like, can we have good seats? Right? Why would you do that? But when Jesus asks that question to your heart, how would you answer? How many times have we just been like, no, it's, it's good, Jesus. I don't need anything. I'm all good. But Jesus can see right through you just like he could see right through Bartimaeus. What is your need? We come to this place where we're scared to be real with Jesus when Jesus knows the real us more than anything else. He already knew what that man wanted. So when Bartimaeus cries out, the way he cries out is this. Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. If you read that, there are three designations when it comes to teachers back then. And the highest one is Rabbi. And so when he's crying out to him, he's saying, you are above all others. I know that you are the greatest. I want you to give me my sight. I serve a God that I can be real with. I serve a God who can handle what I tell him. And in verse 52, Jesus says this, go your way, your faith has made you well. And there's two things that sit kind of weird with people in their theology sometimes here in, in those two verses. We get uncomfortable being direct sometimes when we pray, and we pray these kind of prayers that are all wordy because we think that's what we're supposed to do, and we don't get real with God. And the second part where it says, your faith has made you whole, we get to this weird thing because you hear an entire genre of church people that'll hammer prosperity gospel this, and, and right here it says, your faith has made you well. I don't know how to interpret that besides the fact that he had faith for healing and he was made well. When I look at the, like, it's what the Bible says, right? And I have to have this this thought in my head that when I come to Jesus with a request, Jesus hears that request. Jesus isn't like, no, use a lot more adjectives. You know, use a lot more old English words. Use a, no, I feel like when I pray to Jesus, he hears Faith is personal. Faith is effectual. Faith reaches out to Jesus and touches Jesus. It comes before him and it doesn't pull any punches. What happens here is restoration. You read different translations. He, that word receive my sight is actually restore my sight. This is a man who had lived his life and at one time he had had sight and he had lost his sight. And so what he was saying in faith is, Jesus, I want what was taken from me. That's bold talk. But we serve a God who is able. I say that to every situation in your life right now that you can speak with boldness to. And it ends with this. I'm going to close this. I love that this ends with Bartimaeus being disobedient. Jesus says to him, go. And Bartimaeus stays. 
Jesus is expecting him to run off, skipping, enjoying this life, like regain sight. He's going to just go see all the things he's missed out on. But Bartimaeus does something that surprises a lot of us. He stays and he follows Jesus. When you read about early church, Bartimaeus was thought to have been a core part of a lot of things that happened in the early church. And that's amazing to me because it doesn't stop on the road. It doesn't stop after you yell out. It doesn't stop after Jesus blesses or after Jesus does things for you. That There is this call to be a disciple. And so today, I, my challenge to you as a church, be bold. Be bold. If you are sitting in a place where you feel like this is my spot and I can't move, find some boldness. If there are things in your life that you think that could never change and you've just come to accept, get bold. And if what you're doing causes the church crowd sometimes to be like, maybe you're on to something. If you'll stand, we're going to pray, and after we do, going to give some instructions about what will follow next. Father, I thank you for the privilege to be in your house. I thank you, God, for the way that you see us the way that you don't leave us how you found us. Lord, I pray for everyone in this place that you're going to challenge in this coming week. And Lord, as they step up in boldness, I pray that they will see testimony like never before. I thank you for everyone here. And I thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.